If you're a dog owner, safety and welfare for your pet is of utmost concern. But there are so many so-called experts out there that many of us don't know where to turn to to get the expert advice that we need. Welcome to Taming the Wild in Your Dog with noted dog expert and author Brian Bailey. In this program, we give you the tips you need to connect with your best friend with the most practical advice. Now, here is your host, Brian Bailey. Hey, hey, welcome back. It is Wednesday and you're tuning into Taming the Wild and Your Dog. And when you want to do that, you kind of need a little help with a little bit of equipment. But nowadays, oh my gosh, we we're just talking about it right before the show. How many gadgets are there? I, it, we've tried to sort through over the last couple as we continued this series from taking a dog from point A to point B. We worked through a myriad of issues, everything from just complexity that confuses people to making critical mistakes to not knowing how to communicate properly with your dog. And now here comes another one. No wonder so many dogs are getting trained. It's hard. It really is. Yeah. There's so much equipment out there, and then you purchase something, you get it in, you're like, how the heck do I even get this on the dog? Oh, yeah. And, and we guys, we don't read instructions. So if it doesn't come with pictures, <laughs> oh, my, I wouldn't no more know how to put that together save my life. You know, just look at all this equipment in here. If you're on Facebook Live, check out all these the stuff. We got wires running here, wires running there. Oh, gosh, I shouldn't touch that. Probably go off the air. It's crazy. So anyway, guys, we're this episode is about trying to – Figure out which equipment is best to help you achieve your training goals. Because there's a lot of goals out there for people teaching your dog to come when called, to not pull them when they walk down the street, to stay, and so on and so forth. There's so many things to train your dog to do. And you kind of need to think of it this way. There is no one-size-fits-all application with, a, with equipment. You, got, you have to have a lot of tools. Uh, just like I have a toolbox in my garage, I have a flat head in there. I got a Phillips head. I've got a drill. I've got a level. Uh, I and then I have a whole bunch of stuff. I have no idea what it does. It just came with the set. That's why I train with this vest on because I can carry multiple tools with me and find the right tool for the right job. There you go. You've got like a complete equipment right. store yep. hanging off your torso. I carry my toolbox everywhere. <laughs> you even have stuff in the back of that vest, yep. don't you? I, actually, I think I've got... Uh, what do you have in the back of that? Two tennis balls. Two tennis in balls. In case I give one to a dog and it doesn't want to give it up. Third one just to, <laughs> to bargain. <laughs> Isn't that what training's about? Aren't you supposed yeah, yeah. to teach the dog to give it up, Joshua? <laughs> Oh my I've also gosh. got a, a 15 foot long line back here. An entire. Good Lord. He, oh my gosh, yes, it's like a weight fist. Yes, Walmart on his back. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Are you going to look like uh, the riders in the Tour de France and right. have a couple yeah. bananas back there and <laughs> right. granola bars? Oh, yeah. I've got my lunch back here and a couple protein. Yeah. I don't know how those guys do it. I can't pedal a bike and eat at the same time. That, that takes talent there. All right. Well, let's get started here. Um, <laughs> Again, there's so much equipment out there. Now, before you go shopping, before you head down to the store and you pick out of the equipment that you think you're going to need, really give it just a second thought and think about what are you trying to accomplish? What is the end goal? And then do a little research because you know how it is. These box stores, they open by selling you stuff. Uh, I write about this in my book, Embracing the Wild and Your Dog, in which the young girl was 
absolutely, totally convinced that I should purchase a wire crate for my dog, all wire versus an enclosed crate. Now, I know a little bit about the den instinct in our dogs, and I was trying my best to be very polite, but she didn't want to hear it. She was going to make sure that I was going to buy that wire crate no matter what. She was the expert, although she couldn't have been a day over about 15 or 16, but by golly, she, she's never been out in the wild. She's never studied a wolf. She wouldn't know a wolf den if she tripped over the darn thing, but she's going to by golly tell me which crate I will buy and I will like it, and so will my dog. So I'm just telling you, buyer beware, be careful, do your research, then you can go shopping to see which the, the best deal you can come up for the equipment. But keep in mind that businesses are there to sell. And unfortunately, there are many companies, not all of them. I, there are companies that we adore. We love their product. Thank you, guys. You did a great job. But there are more than those. There are the other ones. There are companies who are more inclined or are more motivated uh, and concerned over form than function. Uh, their bottom line versus your dog's training program bottoming out. They really don't care. They, they can't. Either that or, like you were saying earlier, Joshua, they've obviously never trained a dog. They don't even own a dog. <laughs> right. I don't even know if they know which end of the dog they're actually trying to make that piece of equipment for. It's ridiculous. Let's go ahead and show one up here on the screen here for Facebook Live. And everyone out there on the radio, what we're showing here is Kira and I were walking one day on this big sidewalk in front of our home. And this lady is approaching us, and she has this apartment. Uh, I thought it was a submarine on her chest. because it, it looked it was like this, a little space suit. It was a, our space capsule with this yeah. big, clear plexiglass bubble, and the rest of it was enclosed. So it looked like a space capsule, something that would go to Mars or to the moon. And I'm thinking, man, does she have a child in there? Is is there a baby in there? I, I'm really concerned because that was a warm day. <laughs> furry baby, if it was a baby. <laughs> it was. And then as we got closer and the eyeballs looking out, and I'm thinking, man, that is one ugly kid. <laughs> <laughs> but it turned out, what was it, a Pomeranian? Yes. Yeah. So anybody on Facebook Live, just look up there. That's what we saw. <sighs> and I'm just, just thinking, Why? You do Why? not want that. When <laughs> No, when all of the equipment that. that we talk about today fails. Just know that there's more options out there. <laughs> <laughs> there's more options available to you. Well, just for so many reasons. Number one, just train the Pomeranian to walk. I guarantee you that Pomeranian had a vote. I mean, the look that we were getting out that bubble said, help me. Well, this Please cat, help right, me. This cat in this picture looks so ticked off. Oh, yeah. No that, doubt. Oh, that would never hold our, our Siamese cat, Frank. <clears throat> Whoever strapped that on her chest, that would be one of the last acts they did on the planet Earth. He would come out of that thing like a striped ass head. I'm telling you. I mean, he just, he just <laughs> with claws everywhere, he would come out of that thing. Okay, so guys, as you see here, that's just one, and we don't have time to go through all of them. There are so many gadgets out there. Just beware. Instead of stuffing your dog in a space capsule, and you're not actually going to space, maybe your brain did a while ago, but the poor dog, teach it how to walk. Let it see humans from all around, 360-degree view, see the approach of other animals. Just 
and get exercise. That's what walking's for. Even the little tiny ones can walk. They don't. Ha- you don't have to have a bigger dog to take it for a walk. You can take these little tinies for a walk too. Yeah, we take ours. Yep. Yeah. We took them to the beach. Remember the rats, the ones that aren't rodents, they're just little dogs, but we do take them and they love going to the beach. And they, and they claim that they love them. So that's why they pick them up and that's why they care because they're babies. And I always say, if you really, really love them, then you want what's best for them. And there's tons of science out there that tells you that physical exercise is directly linked to your well-being of happiness and there mental state of mind. And I'm telling you what, there's nothing mm-hmm. like a tired dog to be a right, good dog. Right. So exercise is great. Uh, so what's the problem? Not only do we have companies, again, thinking about form over function, but we have the human bias. It, it taints everything. And I say that probably at least once per show because we do have to think about it all the time. For instance, we'll, in a second here, we'll get into callers. But I don't know if anyone bothered to study canine anatomy. Uh, They didn't. So therefore, when it comes to anything that goes on my dog's neck, oh my, no way. And definitely, let's don't make it as snug as it's supposed to be so it functions properly. So it doesn't hurt your dog. But everyone thinks, hey, my dog's neck is the same as my neck. And I have to tell you, If you belong to a species for thousands of years, they had no arms. They don't have hands. They use their mouth for everything. They carry their offspring over 100 kilometers up a hill, down a hill, through the woods, through a creek with their necks supporting their head, which is held in a horizontal line, not in a vertical line. That alone, you will have a neck like the great Hulk back in the days, a huge neck. These bodybuilders, when they go to the gym, they do exercises in which they put a head harness on and they lift weights with just their head to build those muscles in their neck. Well, nature already accommodated animals. They gave them a powerful neck. They also use that neck to drag down an animal the size of your SUV. So again, to draw that comparison between your neck and an animal neck is not only incorrect science, it's just simply not fair to the animal. Because at the end of the day, if you don't train your dog, then you are more apt to either A, not keep your dog, which now means we bounce from rescue to rescue, to shelter to shelter, to someone finally kills you. Or the dog lives a miserable life. I cannot tell you how much it breaks my heart when people say, well, Brian, I, I never walk my dog any longer. Never. I, it's a drudgery. I just don't. I go, well, what does the dog do? Oh, it just hangs out in the sunroom all or day. Out back by itself. Yeah, the closest, all day. closest thing to outside yeah. as it possibly can get to. It's just it's sad because when they've <clears throat> polled people and asked them, why did you get a dog? Okay, let's just go ahead and get rid of the number one answer, of course. I wanted a companion. So let's go to number two. I wanted a walking partner. I wanted a jogging partner. I wanted motivation to go outside and get exercise myself. But because there's gadgets and because there's an uneducable uh, society when it comes to with regard to the anatomy of a dog, let's don't dare use something that would actually create the ability to enjoy your walk and to walk your dog. So let's just shun away from it and choose an even worse evil. 
that's just shut the whole stinking thing down altogether mm. and everything bombs out. So human bias gets in the way. Public opinion affects that big time, big time. We've talked about that with the, uh, the prevailing all positive, which is more like all poison. It's just crap. Uh, again, nothing on this planet ever gets to li- live here without cause and effect. Everything is subject to cause and effect. You know, you don't have to get run over by a car to learn, try not to get hit by one. But there is cause and effect in the public opinion that this animal should live without cause and effect, even though it applies cause and effect. I just don't get it. So that gets in the way. Well, you know, there are lots of companies now that are making training equipment that's low profile. So you can't even tell that it is a prong collar or an electronic collar. It just looks like a flat buckle collar. So people can use training equipment without being worried about being judged. Yeah, it's the, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I I think that's a great thing that you can do that for aesthetic reasons. But at the same time, I think when you hide something, then it, it gives that perception that you're ashamed of using it. And we should not be ashamed of using these prong collars and remote collars. We should be loud and proud about it. Well, be loud and proud by the fact that you have trained well-behaving animals. Because what is the alternative? Animals in your home, never leaving your home. And again, I say it all the time. If you are not physically disabled, then your dog, or emotionally disabled, let me add that in there, then your dog lands in your want category. So you got to want it, and you should want it, and it should lower your blood pressure. So again, we we battle this perception, this misperception all the time. It's just sickening. It really is. Now you go over to Europe, and in some countries, they've banned a remote collar. Oh, but are they gone? Heck no. Mm. Now they're simply titled the chameleon. They're hidden. Because at the end of the day, you may call yourself a dog owner, but let me kind of clarify that just a little bit more. You're a zookeeper. These are animals. We don't let them run loose in society, or at least you shouldn't. You wouldn't let a tiger out of a cage and just go romp among the gazelles. No way. We're zookeepers. So when you're a zookeeper, you have to have the means to control the animal in your zoo. Period. So therefore, humans, there are some smart ones still. And they're going, you know what? I love my dog. I'm going to control my dog, whether you like it or not, because I want to take my dog into public and there's no other way to get that thing done unless I use the right equipment. Uh, And then probably the last thing that affects uh, people using equipment properly or picking the correct equipment is we're just becoming too lazy. Uh, I'm just waiting for the day that... uh, Oh, what, what's the little box that you're talking to and it turns on your lights for you? Alexa? Yeah. Dog. Alexa, please walk my dog. Oh, before before too long, we'll have robotic dogs. What are you talking Wait, about? Wait, didn't you say there was something that they were trying somewhere? It's, it's a drone. A drone that could it's, walk It's a drone dog. that is supposed to walk your dog. I can't wait to see this thing. Oh, my How God. How miserably. Oh my that work? Yeah. At the price tag of $2,700, it'll walk your dog for you. Here we go. Okay, so let's just get going here real quick here. Let's hop on that first piece of equipment. A leash. So, Josh, if you would show up there for everyone on Facebook Live, a leash. Now, guys, a couple things when when you think about using a leash. Again, always think about your goal. Uh, 
I like and personally prefer a forefoot for the length. I think anything beyond four feet, uh, unless you're using it for common called, it's just too much leash. You trip over it, the dog's four legs go over it. It's just a problem. So think about the length. And again, keep in mind why you're, why you're training your dog to do. Think about the weight of it. A lot of these leashes are too light. They feel like a shoestring. They just do. They feel like a shoestring and they can't, you need to go take a physics class and learn about momentum and mass. Uh, the lighter this thing is, the harder you're going to have to use your muscles to control a larger animal. So think about a little weight on it. On the opposite end of that, you have the, the little tinies again, who it's very difficult to find a leash that is the right weight. And we've even gone to cat leashes for those little bitty ones. Yeah. yeah they, they work great. Yep. You have to take that into account. A five pound dog will not pull you with a 10 pound <laughs> leash. <laughs> so you might get the job done with a really heavy leash. Think about the grip. Uh, again, leather gives you the ability to grip better. Uh, it's what we pros use. But again, it's all up to you. Think about length. Think about weight. Think about grip. And make sure that that metal thing on the end is built well. Uh, you, Man, I've seen so many catastrophic failures on these clasps. Make sure it's a good working clasp. I like a spring one. Make sure it's good. I like brass. Uh, aluminum is fine. You just don't want the metal deteriorating over the years. And then check the integrity of the leash. Like the one in the picture here is sewn. Uh, I kind of like a backup system. You can go with sewing. I like a couple of rivets, and I like thread and needle as well. Uh, I just want backup to a backup. Uh, long story short, if you pick the thing up in your hands and you go, it feels cheap. Then it is cheap. <laughs> Just going to tell you that newsflash. It's it. junk. Pass on that bad boy. Throw that thing back on the shelf and get rid of it. Don't use it. So, again, that's really up to you guys uh, as far as that goes. But make sure it's good quality. Retractable leashes. Let's hit that, Joshua. Okay, retractable leashes. They, they were invented, believe it or not, not for housebreaking. They were invented to help you take up the slack when you're teaching come when called or fetch. That's all it was designed to do. Because many dogs, I was just doing this yesterday, I can't take up the line fast enough to beat my cattle dog coming to me. Which means if I want to have control when the dog arrives and not run me over like a freight train, knock out my kneecaps, or worse, or also use me as a drive-through window as they go by. Yeah, pass the treat, just like a baton on a relay, and I'll head on by. You want control when the dog arrives, which means you cannot have a bunch of leash laying out there because you're just whiffing it all the time. That's what they were designed for use. If you purchase one of these, know this. They come in a couple of different types. One has a belt drive all the way through it. It looks like a nylon leash. All the way. If you have 30 feet, it's got 30 feet of leash of, or a flat nylon leash to it. We call it a belt type drive. The other ones have the belt for about one feet or maybe a little bit more. I've seen yeah. some with a little less, a yeah. little bit more. But either way, then the rest of it, 90% of it, it's just this little thin cord. 
Again, for a small dog, like our dogs, the Morkies, two of them, we use those. They have the little belt on the end, and then they have a cord running the rest of the way through because they can't handle a 50-foot tape drive through that thing. No, and their little retractable leashes are all of about this big. Are they the cat variety as well? <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. sure they are. Probably the cat variety and everything. <laughs> but, you okay. know, also on these retractable leashes, I've seen them with poop bag containers on them and flashlights. They're pretty cool. Yeah, they, they, they have good purpose, but I just need people to think about what they were meant exactly. for. Mm-hmm. They weren't meant to walk the dog. Uh, right. You're not going to get the same success training a dog to walk by you with that than what you would with that nice four-foot leash. Right. Um, we're supposed to take a break, but we're going to roll right through it. We've got a lot of equipment to cover today, guys, so stay with us. We're going to roll right through this break. We'll take a little bit of a break later in the show. Uh, so I want to just get through all this stuff. We got a lot of stuff to cover here. All right. So the retractable leash, you know what that's for. Let's move on down to a flat buckle collar. Okay. Now, that collar is a wonderful collar for a trained dog. Or it's a wonderful collar for an untrained dog who is wearing a training collar. So in other words, I'm wearing two or more collars. Just put your ID tags on yeah those columns. Absolutely. I've seen those hold ID tags. I've seen them hold those new devices in which if your dog gets out of your home, then you can track it on your iPhone. Great thing for that. Yep. Tags and fashion is what I always say. That's the only thing those things are good for. Tags and fashion. Tags and fashion indeed. Uh, So again, buckle collars. uh, If you put one on your dog, Watch out. Don't make the mistake that most people make and put that on too loose, especially if that's what the leash is hooked to. Good Lord, I cannot tell you how many times I'm standing there with owner and their dog, and a second later, owner is holding leash with an empty (coughs) flat collar, and the dog is gone. So now it looks like a ghost. (laughs) Where'd your dog go? It's gone. Uh, again, make it snug. And how snug should you make it? You're going to get things all the time that say, give me one finger underneath, give me two fingers underneath. Well, that's all in good if fingers were uniform. Yeah. The problem is you ask a three-year-old, can you get your two fingers underneath there? Versus someone with big, meaty mechanics, hands. Um, I just tell people this. If I grab it, if I can pull towards the dog's ears, the dog is facing me. If I can grab with two hands and I can easily pull that off. That is way too loose because, of course, that's what's going to happen. Now, then you tighten it way down and the dog is going, <laughs> okay, common sense. Their eyes are turning red and they're bulging out of their head. I want to loosen just think about one little notch or two. Put that thing on snug. Remember, guys, it's akin to putting on a thigh muscle, a big thigh, not a neck. Dogs have incredible muscles surrounding all the important elements of that neck, just like yours the trachea, the epiglottis, the larynx, and so on and so forth. They just have far more muscle surrounding everything than what you do. So let's, that takes us to the next one. So now, if you're watching and watching on Facebook Live, you'll see a little picture of a slip collar. Uh, they're also known as choke collars. I don't <laughs> like to refer to them. Oh, no. Oh, I know. Oh, God. Uh, okay. If sense were common, we would all have it. <laughs> The is I like to call it a slip collar because I'm not trying to be politically correct. I'm trying to motivate human beings. Mm-hmm. Hey, it slips. It can choke and it will choke if you apply too much pressure to it. 
But, you know, in survival, we used to always tell everyone the rule of threes. You can live three minutes without air. <laughs> you can live three days without water and three weeks without food, but you can't live more than three seconds without hope. So, you know, dog, if you're yanking me so darn hard or you're just trying to attack me, well, maybe taking a quick trip in the tunnel might just be what you need. And then I'll let you back out and all's good to go and you learn. You know what? Note to self. When you attack Brian, you go into a tunnel. I'm not sure what you <laughs> see there, but uh, if you start to become compliant, you will see an exit sign and I'll let you back out. Uh, so again, we kind of get overworked about this and we take, and we just dumb animals. We make them sound like they're stupid. Mm -hmm. I wrote a blog on this. It's on our website, tamingthewild.com. And the blog is titled the master teacher, why overprotectiveness can actually harm your training. It really can. We worry so much. It's a powerful neck. You know what? I'm a dog. I pull, I can't breathe. I go back near the human. I can breathe pretty good. I pull, can't breathe back near the human. Not only can I breathe really good, but I get a really good treat. Huh. Okay. They figured that out mm -hmm. in a New York second. Yes. And when we think that they're so stupid that they can't figure that out. So by golly, let's don't use a tool that would actually establish control. Actually allow me to enjoy my dog. Let's don't because my dog is too stupid to figure that out. Well, it's the human that's too stupid. Hence why the title of my new book that'll be coming out here in a few months is Save the Dog, Euthanize the Human. Period. Give me a break, guys. Uh, so it's a matter of having training, proper training on how to use a slip collar. And on one little point on that, what it is is that dogs among dogs, wolves among wolves, predator among predator, even lions, when they want to control a member of their pride or their pack or their family, if you want to call it a dog. Remember, I don't have hands, so I use my mouth. Now, where can I use my mouth to control that other member but not kill them? Their neck. Grab their neck. It's the strongest part of their anatomy. It's the frontal assembly of the dog canine anatomy. Grab that. I won't hurt them if I grab that. We're not talking bite it. I'm talking squeeze it. Squeeze it till they say, uncle, how hard do you have to squeeze? Well, the animal being squeezed will let you know how hard you need to squeeze me. It's what it's, why they do it. And not only that, but when I grab you by your neck, you can't grab mine. It's like <laughs> sitting on someone's chest and holding their arms down on the ground. So if I get you by your neck, you can't grab my neck. Mm -hmm. Gosh, they're smart. Good God, give it a second. You know, and think about it. They're really smart. So that's what these collars do. Anytime we start to apply pressure and we use a collar because only a stupid human would try to put their mouth on their dog's neck. Uh, so we use a collar instead. We apply a little bit of pressure. That pressure starts to squeeze on those big, powerful muscles. And you tap into an instinct that is much older than anyone listening to this show. And immediately they start to respond. Remember, the default mechanism for all behavior is instinct, not you, instinct. That's what these callers were designed to do, not choke a dog. Good Lord, if I'm choking, you think I'm thinking about math or what I read in the news or the stock market or sitting or lying down? No, I'm thinking about uh, 
can I get my air back, please? And I'm going to focus everything on accomplishing that goal right then and right there. I'm not going to sit there and now just go, well, how long can they hold on? Because I can handle this like an all-day sucker. No, you can't. Biology 101 will tell you that. You don't have to get on National Geographic to, to see what we're talking about here. Just go to your local dog park. Dogs around the neck. They're playing around the neck. They're, they're nipping around the neck. It's all fine and dandy. And then one dog crosses the line. And where does that dog turn around and go to? Uh, the neck. Yep. To let them know. Hey, yeah. knock it off. Yeah. Uh, all training requires uh, a lot more than just binging on Netflix. If you really want to train your dog, at some point, you need to observe your dog. You need to observe your dog in the setting around other dogs, uh, people. You need to simply observe. So turn off the distractions like the TV, the stinking smartphone and everything else and try to just spend some time watching your dog. You'd be amazed at what you would learn and how much confidence you would have in the abilities that you have, the animal's ability to learn and process the information, and you learn to have some trust in the equipment, good equipment. But anyway, these little nylon slip collars, it's been a workhorse collar for me for over 40 years. It has been my number one collar. It's what I lean on because I train a dog, not a fur baby. I train a domestic wolf. I still train something who's 99% wolf. I tap into that intrinsic mechanism that governs all of their behavior. That's what I do. That's what we do here at Taming the Wild. And that's what you need to do if you want to have the dog of your dreams. Okay. All right. Let's move on. We're going to keep rolling here, people. If you got any questions, send them in. Uh, One quick thing. Yes. Don't put your ID tags on the slip collars. Wonderful point. <laughs> uh, because rope going against ring and ID tags are typically held with S hooks. And S-hooks aren't always clamped down all the way. There's a sharp edge to those. And next thing you know, your tags are gone or your collar breaks. Yeah. So anytime you get a slip collar, uh, if it's made out of cloth, make sure that like anything, check your equipment. Before you go out the door, before we ever take a training dog past the boundaries of a safe fence, we are double checking, triple checking, checking that lease, checking that class, checking that slip collar. Guys, always, always do this because I, I'm just going to ask you to do that personally because I have been the recipient of attacks that occurred when other people's cheap equipment or at one time was good equipment seven years ago, broke. And next thing you know, their dog is on me. Always check your equipment. Okay, moving right along here. Halties. Okay. Oh, gosh. Dang it. Um, take a deep breath. Yeah, I have to take a deep breath on this. Uh, gentle leaders. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, oh. Okay, here's a couple things on this. And just, again, there, I put this out here. We told you at the beginning of the show, if you're listening to it, it's a no BS show. It's the way we are. I'm going to say it the way it is. Hey, it's my radio show. You don't like it, you can tune off. But here's the deal. This, it's another one of those marketing uh, ploys or whatever you want to call it. It's just, call it for what it is. I get so fed up. I, I happen to hop on a leading video that demonstrates the proper use of a gentle leader. And the first words out of their mouth, it even came up in a big, bold text. Control without force. Hmm. 
Really? Now I sit there and I'm able to choke this video down. No pun was intended there. <laughs> sure. Uh, and it says, it's a, the snug part of the collar. Now, gentle leaders, if you're listening to the show, you're not able to see the picture. It is a device that has one attachment point for the leash, but it's essentially two nylon collars. One is placed around the dog's neck up behind the ears, and the other one goes over the dog's muzzle, completely over the muzzle. Uh, like Imagine a nylon collar over a dog's muzzle. And then there's a little ring below the strap that goes over the dog's muzzle that you attach the leash. Now, in this video, it says that the snug collar will help calm the dog down. Hey, you're right. But why? Why don't you just educate the public and tell them why that does that? Because, again, you're tapping into that instinct. Oh, my, there's something squeezing my neck a little bit. I need to pay a little bit of attention here. All right. And then it talks about putting it over the dog's muzzle, which if you've never done this before, I wish you a lot of luck. It's going to take a little bit to get your dog used to this, a lot of treats, a lot of desensitizing. Yeah, there's, there's videos on, on YouTube that I was watching in it was talking about ways to condition your dog to put the muzzle on. And some of them were saying anywhere from three to 10 days of this conditioning process before you can ever even take your dog on a walk. Yeah. And most dogs are gone by then. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm done. This, Time's up. Just, you what, had three days, dog. What dog owner has that time? I mean, if you're not a professional trainer, you don't get paid to do this. Who has that time <laughs> to sit down and condition that, that whole rigorous training that yeah. it takes knowledge to do. Maybe someone does. But then I finally got my way through that darn video. And at the end, here's what it says, quote, quote, unquote. It gives pressure. Now, remember the first thing that I mm. read, control without force. It gives pressure to the nose. And when the dog is compliant, meaning I said uncle because of the pressure to my nose and the pressure to my neck, the pressure can come off. God, just say it. Yeah. You know, let people make a decision. God, I hate that we tiptoe around this. And we try to hide it. It's okay. God, I've touched a hot stove, but I don't go up and touch them anymore. I, it didn't kill me. It's just there's a difference between good stress, good input. You know, pain does motivate, but you don't even have to go to pain. You just have to go somewhere where the animal goes, you know, um, how, how can I avoid that in the future? Can you please show me human how to avoid that? So that's just one of my issues with that caller. The other one that I have is I deal mostly with fearful and aggressive dogs who are suffering from mental disorders. They're very aggressive. They're very fearful. Well, what do you think the perception is of people when they see a strap going around the dog's muzzle? Aggressive dog. Yeah. Thinking it's wearing what? A muzzle. And what kind of dogs wear muzzles again? Dogs that bite. Yes. So now I'm approaching you. You're using the gentle leader. It looks like your dog's on a muzzle. So my first assumption there is that you have to have that on. Otherwise, I could be bitten or my dog could be attacked. So therefore, my blood pressure starts to go up, my respiration, my heart rate, and I start off gassing this concern and fear that I have. And now the dog, where the gentle leader's going, what's up with them? What's up with these people approaching me? They look like they're going to be aggressive. 
Their eyes are wide. They're staring at me. They're tense. They're trembling. They're picking up all of this because remember from the last episode, they don't have language. And next thing you know, we have a problem. Uh, And not to mention, I've seen 50 million dogs get out of the darn thing because, again, no one puts them on snug enough to apply the pressure that was meant to be applied. Uh, Uh, The the, many a time that I've been holding a leash with the dog on a slip collar and the dog takes off after something and they get to the end and they go, oh, crap. And they turn around and look at me. I go, yeah, you probably don't want to do that again, do you? I would be so afraid for a dog to go full speed and hit the end of a leash with that thing on. I would be afraid it's going to snap their neck. Yeah, seven vertebrae in that neck there, and all of a sudden it is neatly snapped 90 degrees to one side or the other while the rest of the body keeps going. Right. Yeah. Same here. So, guys, I'm not a big fan of them. That's what gets up to you. I'm just, my job here is to point out the pros and cons of, of a lot of these devices. So, we're going to move on from here. Um, prong collar. Okay. Now, I, I'm going to admit, you know, again, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but I am going to admit the darn thing looks, A, like something out of Dracula's dungeon. A medieval torture device. Oh, really. it does indeed. It also looks complicated. It, it just does like where does it come apart there's no on switch there's no off switch uh yeah they can be they can be difficult they are <laughs> you bet if you've got weak hands or you've been playing too many video games and not cutting enough firewood or whatever and you got weak hands you're not gonna be able to open that thing up and plus it'd be wonderful if all the dogs stood like a statue and said uh here human go ahead and place that just a little bit higher over here and i'll hold perfectly still they can be difficult, guys. I'm going to be the first to admit that. But the, the, the intent behind prong collars, as I told you a while ago, when we have a snug collar, snug collar, then that intragroup control instinct kicks in. But that's a flat collar or that's a nylon rolled collar. These prongs aren't sharp. They're dull. So they're more like an adult dog's teeth, not like a puppy's teeth. And it is supposed to more closely simulate the it, be the same thing as mom's teeth on my neck. It's supposed to feel just more like teeth. And it must do that. That's all I can say. I've never been in the head of a dog. I, so I can only judge, judge by their response, by their reaction, how they behave. And I will tell you this much. They are one of my favorite tools for teaching the heel. Anything to do with locomotion, when I have large dog, I'm talking 70, 80, 90, over 100-pound animal built horizontal to the ground, I'm vertical, and they're yanking like no tomorrow. Unless you are the great Hulk, unless you have an incredible, absolutely flawless skill set, you're going to get owned by that dog, flat out owned. And the prong collar seems to take kind of like going from a stick shift to an automatic. Mm -hmm. It is far better. So that's my number one tool for the prong collar is using it for locomotion because there's physics 101. Two masses and movements want to continue to go in movement. Well, when this mass wants to stop or this mass wants to turn right, I'd certainly appreciate that that other mass does exactly what I do. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's just going to be a a mass problem. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm not going to say some other words, but I won't. Uh, the difficulty with them is connecting them, Take, putting them on, taking them off. And then, of course, like everything else, if I meet 10 people who walk their dog up to me 
the dog is wearing a prong collar, nine out of 10, it is way too loose. Mm. It was not meant to barb your dog. It was meant to apply pressure like mom's teeth on my neck. So again, guys, if you use this, make sure it is snug on your dog's neck. And also know something else. This is not a collar that I'd recommend that you leave on the dog at the proper tight around the neck, tightness around the neck. I would not recommend that your dog wear this all day long because anytime you have metal on skin, metal on skin, you run the risk of pressure necrosis. You're going to start to wear away that skin. And when you do that, you wear it down far enough and bingo, we now have a chink in the armor and here comes bacteria and everything else. And now all of a sudden you have an inflamed neck, you have a hot spot because the dog's going to scratch you because it itches like no tomorrow and you're off to see the vet. And you're thinking, I'm never, ever going to put that prong collar on my dog again. Wait, hey, buddy, you put it on for 23 hours, seven days a week. Take the darn thing off. So, yeah. again, that should be a, an as-needed tool. Yeah. They do have quick-fit prong collars, don't they? Where you they don't do. have to. Yeah. I'm not a fan of them because they have failed me too many times. Uh, that little link that hooks them together that makes it a quick-fit is supposed mm-hmm. to make it easier to put on and take off, yeah, it's easier, all right. It comes off and when you don't want it too to. Easily. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, way too easily. And plus, people have a tendency that when their leash is failing them to reach down and try and grab their dog's collar. Mm-hmm. And when they do, invariably, they kind of, their hand falls over that quick release. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they activate it and the dog's now running over right. to the next county. Yeah. Uh, but I do love them. I think that they're a great tool. I do admit that they're difficult to put on and off. And I do tell you that I only like to use them for situational needs, not not an all one size fits all need when it comes to prongs. Okay. um, We're going to save the next couple of uh, training tools for after the break. We're going to go ahead and and cut away to a break here. I want to get something to drink, uh, talking about all these tools and I tell you, get you going there. <laughs> All right, guys. So if you have any questions, again, send them in to us. Uh, you can send them to Brian with a Y at TamingTheWild.com. You can send it if you're on Facebook Live, send it to us on Facebook. And when we come back, we're going to talk about harnesses, no pull harnesses, regular harnesses. We're going to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about the, oh, oh God, the remote training caller as, again, a lot of people like to call it. The shock collar. Isn't it amazing how you tiptoe around some things mm-hmm. and then you just flat out get all over one other thing? Yep. It's just amazing. It's, anyway, we'll talk about that and we'll, we'll, we'll make it a little light. We'll talk about treat bags and Joshua's training vest there <laughs> <laughs> and everything. All right, guys. So we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Sit, stay. Prong collar, flat collar. I don't care, but sit, stay. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Join Chris Epting every week for the moment. Chris talks to some of the most amazing people you'll ever meet, including authors, artists, and athletes. And that's just the A-list. 
These celebrities and public figures have interesting stories that all showcase the moments that their lives took a certain dramatic turn, changing them forever and shaping them to be the person that they were meant to be. Listen for The Moment with Chris Epting. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Taming the Wild and Your Dog. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email if you prefer to brian at tamingthewild.com. Now back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Free. All right, let's get started here. I, we talked about a, a lot of the training equipment before we went to a break. Now we're going to hop all over harnesses. Okay, now I have a love-hate relationship with harnesses, uh, meaning I grew up in Alaska. I was a junior musher, so therefore my sled dogs had to be in a harness because that's when I wanted them to pull and pull very effectively. We have a Siberian Husky puppy now that I would like to do urban mushing with because there's no snow in Memphis. Gosh, no snow. I hate that. So therefore, he doesn't pull a sled. He pulls a bicycle uh, without pedals. It's called a kick bike. And I put him in his harness and he's gone. Yay. Good dog. So I do love harnesses for that. I do like harnesses for dogs who do have suffered severe injuries with their necks, with their skulls, things of that sort, because this is what you have to do. Um, She has to wear a harness. Yeah. Poe, one of our Morkies has to wear a harness. And then I remember the client that we had that had the Jack Russ or the... uh, Westy, yeah, funniest things ever. The dog's wearing a harness, and she goes, well, here's what I use it for. She reaches down, picks the dog up like it was a briefcase. (laughs) I go, that's a wonderful application of the harness. Problem solved. No pulling, no jumping, no nothing. The dog is dangling there like it's a little bit of a white suitcase. Um, That was so funny. I'll never forget it. Yeah, but when you guys, if you look at getting a harness for your dog, first of all, unless if it 
if it does have an injury or something that is wrong with its neck, and it's, it's, that's been proven, you, you've taken it to a veterinarian, and they say, hey, we, a lot of these toy dogs, like we, uh, two of our dogs, they do. They, after, when they start to age and become much older, typically past seven, eight years of age, they can start to have a genetic condition with their trachea in which the muscles around the neck will deteriorate and you start to apply too much pressure to the trachea and you can start to get into some problems there. But that's typically uh, only found in toy dogs, smaller dogs, unless there's, they got hit by a car or something. But for the most part, the rest of them are just like regular dogs, strong neck, ready to go. So I encourage you to use something that would go around the neck before you would the body. Uh, now, with harnesses, there's so many advertises, no pull harnesses. Now, I want you to think about something. I'm going to pull up a diagram for people on Facebook Live. I'll explain it on the radio. Again, part of training is understanding what it is that you're training. What is it? What is the body like on this animal? This is a horizontal built animal, horizontal to the ground, designed to cover great distances without a heavy loss of calories. It very energy efficient. They bounce with incredible efficiency. Humans just standing burn calories because we're vertical and we're always attempting to balance our bodies. This animal is also designed to sprint over a short distance at a high rate of speed, slam into a large creature, grab it, and pull thrust backwards and pull it to the ground. That being said, on my diagram, and for those of you listening on the radio, there are different structures on, on the dog. And we call everything from the back of the shoulders, the withers, uh, the back of the shoulders to the head, the front assembly. Now, the front assembly is where the most power is generated in this animal. And the center of gravity is where all the forces in the animal, all of them, for humans is typically our hips, are just above our hips. That's our center of gravity. This is where all the forces of our legs, our torso, everything all meet. They all come together, that really strong area. Uh, for a dog, it's right behind your dog's withers. So behind the shoulders, that is the center of gravity. And any locomotion that we mammals do, is you, you can describe it as controlled falling. So in other words, if you want to walk, you start to lean forward. You throw you off your center of gravity, and now your legs move. And if they move fast enough, then you won't land on your face. Dogs are no different. It's a series of falling from one leg to the other. Well, my issue is with a lot of these no-pull harnesses, and Joshua, can you go back to the picture for me real quick here? Uh, they have the no-pull part right in the front of the chest of the dog, right on the sternum. And they advertise that this is the center of gravity for the dog. No, it's not. It is not. And that is wrong. And if you're advertising that, you are incorrect. What you're doing is you're hooking this ring to the breastplate of the animal. And what you're attempting to do that is if the dog pulls you kind of like a gentle leader that has now slid down the dog's head, down the neck, and landed on the chest. If the dog starts to go at a certain speed with a certain amount of momentum, when you pull against the ring that is located in the center chest of the dog, uh, that then immediately throws the dog's center of gravity off right there because all that gravity was thrown forward. I want to go forward. My body's catching up to that. But then all of a sudden, there's this force that is applied anywhere from 90 degrees all the way back to uh, about 170 degrees, which then causes the torso to immediately 
torque to the side, which again, that creates problems because guess what has to compensate for that? The weaker joints called the elbows. And if you'll go back to the other picture, Joshua, sorry, I'm going to keep you busy. No, you're good. good. Keep you awake, man. Uh, In blue, if you can tell on Facebook Live, the blue area is the elbows. That's what has to compensate. And that's where you start to have problems. I owned a veterinary hospital for many years, and I cannot tell you how many dogs we had to treat for elbows and and, uh, a early uh, congenital or not congenital, but an early condition, which they started to suffer from arthritis prematurely so on and so forth, in those elbows and under past turns, the wrist area of the dog, because that's what has to compensate for that pulling. But the amazing thing is that catches up to the dog slowly. So it's not effective like a collar where the dog goes, okay, uh, excuse me, that kind of bothered me. Uh, what do I need to do to not have stuff for that bothering? This is kind of like you working out for about a couple of years, and then all of a sudden you go, oh, I shouldn't have been a dancer for that long. Now my feet are broken and now my hips are gone and so on and so forth. This is the same thing. It catches up to the dog over a period of time. So it doesn't immediately affect their behavior. So that's one of my problems with that. A, it doesn't work. B, it will cause damage over a long period of time if you continue to try to use it. Okay, we're going to move quickly through this before we run out of time. Let's talk about the remote training collar. All right. I have a blog on this, so I recommend that you go to my website and read it, tamingthewild.com, and the title of the blog is Shock Caller, the horror of it all. You'll get all the information you want to in there, but in long short here, just to make a long story short, this tool applies a haptic signal to your dog. Touch. It touches the dog. Now, they have levels that range from no touch I kid you not, I can press the button on 10 on some dogs and they look at you like, what are we doing? Are we supposed to be doing something here? All the way up to a level that most dogs, not even some, will say uncle. That's what they're designed to do because when you apply a signal to an animal, remember from the last episode, you're doing so with the intent of influencing its behavior. Not a communication here. Not two-way conversation. I need you to do something for me. That tool has the means to touch into that, and they will respond at a certain level. Hence why they all have so many ranges, well over 100 range, you know, uh, on most of them, some up to 127, some up to 150. Why? So you can find out, huh, how much touching do I need to do? And we recently trained deaf dogs. We couldn't have trained them without this. No, absolutely they, not. They couldn't hear anything. So the caller allowed us to touch them. Then they would look at us, and then we, they would do a hand signal. Uh, they're not shock callers. They're not plugged into a wall. They don't have like 40 amps going in them. Most people, I love when I train someone's dog on a remote training caller, and they come, and we're demonstrating with the dog. And they're going, oh, and you see them cringing and cringing and the tears are welling up in the eyes. And it's all pathetic. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> but the they're there because is, they're desperate and nothing yeah, else has worked. Yeah, so. nothing else has worked. <laughs> yeah. But when we take that thing off and say, here, can you touch those two ends with your fingers? Yeah, the ones that can detect minute changes in texture, the ones that would allow you to read Braille. They're not a dog's neck. And I hit the button. And all of a sudden they go, are you turning it on? Is it on? You go, oh, yeah, it's been on for like the last 10 seconds. Now just shut off. 
It's amazing. I love it. That is one of those incredible mm-hmm. moments mm-hmm. I love. And they go, that got my dog to quit pulling? It did. But one thing I'm going to advise you people, if you purchase a remote training collar for your dog, you have to do training with it. Absolutely. It's not a remote control for your dog. The dog has to have parry. Case in point, you say sit, you press button, not at a correction level, a button that the animal can feel. When the animal does the behavior, it says you let go of the button. The dog will naturally pair and say, hmm, I don't know what the heck that was. But when the dude said sit, it got me. And when my butt hit the ground, it went away. Now you can turn it up a little bit at a time and slowly but surely you can use it as a correction device. Or when you call your dog at the dog park and it says, no, give me 10 more minutes. And you go, no, I don't have 10 more minutes. And the dog says, well, I'm staying here no matter what you say. <laughs> and now you press this button at a higher level. And the dog says, see, guys, I got to go. <laughs> and that's the end of it. So that's that. And then there's one other one. We had a, one of our um, viewers call in here or, or write in. And the training cot. Ah, well, I tell you what. I'm going to save that for the next episode. Uh, thanks, Brian, for reaching out to us. Because the next episode, next week, guys, we're off the training. We've covered all this fundamental pre-training stuff. Next week, we're going to talk about hell at the door. What do you do when your dog wants to maul your guests, maul you coming in? What do you do about that? Well, we do a lot of things. We make them stay. We make them sit. We do all sorts of things, and we're covering all of that next week. So if you have any questions, send them to us. You want us to cover another piece of equipment, we'll cover that, but we're going to cover that cot next week. All right, guys, it's been great. been fun talking to you and going over this training equipment. We'll see you next week. Check us out at TamingTheWild.com and also check out my book, Embracing the Wild and Your Dog, and you'll learn about all the stuff I just went over today. Have a great week. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join host Brian Bailey again for another edition of Taming the Wild in Your Dog next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your dog's welfare and your life may depend on it.